Well, so good to see everybody. We are in the middle of the best summer ever. Uh, had a lot of great things going on this summer. We've got the uh, the Make and Bacon game coming up. Pack the, pack the um, oh, I'm, I'm blanking on what, not pack the pantries, but doing the meal packing event. Uh, but I'm also reminded, what did you say? Are y'all laughing over there? Huh, what? Packing the pantries. <laughs> Oh, well, anyway, oh, well, so good to see y'all, and I, I think, though, that as we, you know, we have the sign out there, and it says, best summer ever, um, in some ways, y'all, this has been a hard summer as well. Um, we've had uh, several folks in the church pass away. We've had some uh, church members who have had family members that have passed away. We've had some folks who have been critically sick, and so there's also been a lot of great activities, a lot of great activities, uh, reaching out and things like that, but there's also been some sad and some hard parts. But you know, when I think about the best summer ever in the midst of the hardness, here's what I remember is that I have a God that loves me, a God that loves you, and a God that holds us in the palm of his hand. And in the midst of the sorrow, whether it is in a, we're in a hard place or whether we're in a time where, you know, life is great and it's going good, we know that we serve a great God. And that's what can still hold us safe and be our anchor in the storm as we are in what is called, we're calling it this summer, the best summer ever. And we've been looking at, in our sermon series here, just talking about a lot of different bests. Uh, Mark kicked it off uh, talking about that uh, the, one of the best gifts that we have is the gift of the Holy Spirit. I talked about that as well. Uh, Mark talked about having best friends. Uh, Liz talked about having, uh, making the best, um, it wasn't the best decision, but the best yes, that kind of thing. I'm going to be talking about the best decisions. And so as we think about this, I have a question that is going to kind of be the frame for our, the, our sermon today, and it is this. What competes for control in your life? Joseph, got it up there? Yeah. What competes for control in your life? So that is kind of the question that we're looking at and, and what we're unpacking today. But to kind of illustrate this point, uh, just a, a sweet family story. And uh, some of you, if you're moms, dads, grandparents, you have probably seen this played out in your home. But our granddaughter, Claire, um, and her mama's back there. Here comes Claire's story. <laughs> PKs, uh, preacher's kids, they know they will be the, the focus of at least one sermon or many. But anyway, so when when Claire <laughs> when Claire was about a year old and uh, she was learning how to talk um, her one of her very first words that she learned was the word who knows what it might be no. That's right. Y'all said it. No. But Claire, you know, because everyone thinks their own child is advanced, their grandchildren are really advanced, she added a little bit to the word no. And it was this. She wouldn't just look at you and say no. With great attitude, she would go, no way. No way. And she would kind of, y'all, this child was like, 14 months old. She was this tall. Maybe she weighed 25 pounds. And I would watch her look at her mama and go, no way. And it would be like, Claire, do you want to go take a bath? No way. Claire, do you want to eat supper? No way. I think she just liked hearing herself say it. And I, and I would just, I mean, I don't know how Mary felt, but having raised three kids, I just laughed because I thought it was so funny. But the thing that I thought in my head was this, Claire, resistance is futile because your mama 
she is going to win. She is going to win. And so as I think about that, I think about that something that was inside every child that you have to discipline it out of them. And it is this, I want to be in control. Maybe you have experienced this, but it's like, I don't want, there's something inside of me, and maybe you have this too, where I just don't want anybody to tell me what to do. Uh, I mean, now, sometimes it's okay. It's like, you know, if it's something that I want to do, but there is something inside of me that I want to be in control, and I don't want to do what somebody else wants me to do. And maybe it's more than that. And let me ask you this, going back to that question, what is it that competes for control in your life? Could it be, maybe it is, there is someone that you know you need to forgive. You know it's the right thing to do, do, you know you should do it, but you're just like, I don't care what anybody says. This person has made me mad, and I'm not going to forgive them. I remember uh, I had a friend when we were in seminary, and they lived behind us, and uh, they had were renovating a house, and one of the contractors had really uh, done them wrong. They had uh, given this person a deposit, and it was a very large sum of money. It was about $10,000, and then this person came in and just like basically ruined their house and then wouldn't guarantee their work. Well, my friend was so incredibly angry. And I can just remember we would walk in the evenings together and she would talk about the things that she was going to do to this man. She was going to dismember him. She was going to bury him in that. But I mean, you know, day after day after day on this walk, I just kept hearing Kathy talk about the things that she was going to do to this man. But here's the thing. It had taken control of her life. I think about it, it might be unforgiveness, it might be anger, it might be pride, it might be, and kind of depending on the season of your life, it might be something that you don't really want to surrender to the Lord. It might be that as a, as a college student, as a high school student, maybe there's somebody that you're dating, and maybe your parents have said, listen, this, this person's not that great for you. Uh, your friends have said that, but you're like, I want to do what I want to do. Uh, it might be that you are uh, maybe getting overcommitted at work because money and prestige and a big house and a big car and those things are such a high priority for you, but your family is saying, hey, don't work so much. We need you at home. We want you. So here's the question is, what is that thing that competes for control that you don't want to let it go and surrender to the Lord? Because here's the thing that I know is that when we hold on to these things, resistance is futile because there will always be consequences to the things that we hold on to, the things that we want to be the king of our own world, that we are not letting go and giving into the hands of a loving father. So today, the story that we're looking at, it comes from the Old Testament. Uh, some of y'all, back in January, Mark and I made a commitment to read through the Bible in a year. Uh, there's a reading plan. You can find it out here in the lobby area. And some of y'all are joining us. I, I will say that Mark is being more diligent than I am, so we'll just give him kudos for that. Uh, I have missed a little bit. But right now, if you're reading with us, we just finished up the book of Jeremiah. So the story that we're looking at today comes from the book of Jeremiah. So the person that we're talking about, his name is King Zedekiah. Now, King Zedekiah was the last king of Judah. He was the last king of Judah, but he had no idea that he was going to be the last king. And it all revolved around this one question, who was in control of his life? Was it the Lord 
or was it himself? So before we dig into the passage, I'm going to just give you a quick history of the Old Testament. I promise I'm going to try to do it really, really fast. So um, in the Old Testament, at first, the, the nation of Israel, they come out of Egypt. The first part of their history, we read about it in Joshua Judges, they were governed by the Mosaic Law. They were governed by the Ten Commandments and by judges and by prophets. And this worked kind of good, kind of bad. There were times when it worked well, times when it didn't. But then the nation of Israel, they said, we want a king. We want to be like all the other nations. You know, we're embarrassed. We don't have a king. We want a king to rule us. And the prophets warned the nation. And they said, you know, here's the thing about kings. And this is it. Kings have complete control and autonomy and authority. And if they're not a good king, it's not going to be, it's not going to go well for the nation. And they said, we don't care. We want a king. And so God had the prophet Samuel. He anointed a, a guy named Saul. He became king. Uh, you can read about this in First and Second Samuels. Saul was not that great of a king. Next king was King David. He had his own problems, but really did a great job. Next king was Solomon. And then here's what happened after Solomon. And this is where, if you're reading through the Bible, it can get a little difficult at this point, is because basically there was a civil war. And so, you know, how we had our own civil war, um, and, you know, there was the wanting to divide between the north and the south. Thankfully, we didn't break apart. But Israel did. So they were divided into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Northern kingdom is called Israel. Southern kingdom is called Judah. That's why at this point, if you're reading through the Bible, it gets confusing because they go back and forth with the kingdom and then the prophets come. And anyway, it gets confusing. But I'm just going to like book in it and tell you really fast what happened. You know, this is the cliff notes. Bottom line is the northern kingdom, they would have good kings, bad kings, bad kings, bad kings, bad kings. And God got frustrated with them. And so he sent the Assyrian army to come in and invade. And they were taken away into captivity, never to be heard of again. They're called the Lost Ten Tribes. So anyway, that part of Israel was annihilated pretty much. Now, the southern kingdom, Judah, uh, that's where Jerusalem is, they did not, uh, they, they had a few good kings, so they were kind of hanging on by a thread. And you would have thought they would have learned their lesson, but they didn't. They continued to uh, worship other idols, to not obey Yahweh. And so God sent a foreign invader in to discipline them. It was the kingdom of Babylon, and Nebuchadnezzar was the king. And so the prophets warned about this, warned about this. So what Nebuchadnezzar did, he came in, he invaded the southern kingdom, and he he hurt the nation. And here's the thing that I want you to remember. He did not annihilate the nation of the Judah, but he severely weakened them. And this is how he did it. He took away uh, most of the artisans, most of the, the, the folks who were kind of your upper echelon, the skilled workers. He took away a good bit of the military, uh, took away uh, their ability to, to rebel against Nebuchadnezzar. But here's what he left in place, and this is what's so critical to understand. He didn't destroy the nation. He left the walls intact. Now, why is that important if you are a, a, a little small nation over there in the Middle East? Why would you need a wall around you? 
It protects you from the foreign invaders. So they still had their wall around them. They still had the king's palace. They still had the temple was still intact. They had not, they had taken away some of the articles for worship, but the temple itself was still there. They still had many of the key things that they needed to worship Yahweh. Uh, Some of the priests were still in place. And so what Nebuchadnezzar did, and this is so critical, is that he made them what's called a vassal state. He made them a vassal state. Now, what that looked like was they could still remain autonomous. They could still call themselves Judah. Uh, They still had a a king in place. Zedekiah is who's in place. Um, But here's what Nebuchadnezzar said. Don't rebel against me. Okay? Have you got that? Have you got that, Judah? Don't rebel against me. I'll protect you. You, when I need taxes, when I need soldiers, when I need help, you serve me. But as long as you do what I ask you to do, life is going to go well for you. It's going to be okay. Now, this is where our story picks up. So grab your bulletins there, and let's look at verse 1. And this comes from the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah was the one, kind of the, the spiritual leader in Zedekiah's life, the one who is speaking truth to him. Zedekiah, so Nebuchadnezzar has now, he's taken away the exiles. Y'all know the story of Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Daniel, and the lion's den. Okay, those people have been exiled to Babylon. That's Esther. All of that has taken place. And then Nebuchadnezzar in this weakened state has put in Zedekiah. Now, Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became, became king. All right, let's just pause right there. He was 21 years old. How many of you are over 21? All right, we got a few. How many of you are under 21? Okay, all right, we've got a lot of folks here. Okay, just imagine you are 21 years old and you have watched your nation uh, deteriorate like this. You remember the stories of David and Solomon and the glory years, but that is not the case right now. You have been made the king of a nation that is in, in submission to a foreign power. You are, um, you know, you are like, you're like a colony, so to speak. Y'all, we've seen examples of that in our more modern history. He was 21 years old. I wonder what that experience was like for him. And it said, and he reigned in Jerusalem for 11 years. So he's going to have a very short tenure as king. And it's, and here's the thing, it is his own fault that he had a short tenure. It is not anybody's fault but his own. And we're about to learn why. Verse 2, it says that he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And then Jeremiah is going to tell us what the particular evil was that he did. And it's found there at the end of verse 3. And it says that Zedekiah rebelled against the king of Babylon. He rebelled against the king of Babylon. Now, why is that such a big deal? Because Jeremiah, so, so you know, Zedekiah, he's looking to Jeremiah to be his spiritual leader, kind of his spiritual guide. And he goes to Jeremiah and says, basically, what, tell, me, tell me what the word of the Lord is. Tell me what the word of the Lord is. And Jeremiah said, here's the thing. I want you to stay here. Some of this is my words, okay? So I'm going to kind of paraphrase. Um, and this comes from 2 Kings, 2 Chronicles, Jeremiah. So I'm kind of piecing these things together. But here's what he said. Basically, this exile to Babylon, this is God's plan. It is God's will. 
And I know it might be hard, but here's the thing. The nation has rebelled and rebelled and rebelled and rebelled, and now they're in trouble, and I'm going to punish them. But the punishment is only going to be for 70 years. Now, moms and dads, y'all understand this. Your child, you have repeatedly and repeatedly and repeatedly told them, curfew is at 11 o'clock, right? Or 12 o'clock. Curfew is at, let's say 11. Curfew is at 11 o'clock. Child repeatedly and repeatedly and repeatedly doesn't, doesn't meet curfew. So what do you do? You ground your child. But there is a beginning and there is an end. And you are doing it because you love your child. And so that's what basically Jeremiah was saying to Zedekiah through the, the Lord was saying through Jeremiah. He said, this is my purpose. This is my plan. And he said, I am going to bring the nation back. I am going to restore them because they are my people. And I made a covenant with Abraham that they would always be my people. I am not going to forsake them. They are the apple of my eye. And in fact, Jeremiah even says, Jeremiah 29, 11. Have y'all ever, uh, I'm going to take a little sideways trip here, but how many of you have ever received a graduation card or you have sent a graduation card that has Jeremiah 29, 11 on it? Do y'all know that verse? It says, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for your welfare, not for calamity, plans to give you a future and a hope, and you will call upon me and seek me, and you will find me when you search for me with all your heart. Great graduation scripture to put on a card. But here's the context of that. Jeremiah was speaking to that first wave of exiles who were in Babylon. And before that, he says, look, God loves you. You are his people. Settle in Babylon for 70 years. He says, I want you to build houses and I want you to live in them. I want you to plant gardens and I want you to eat the produce of it. I want you to find wives for your husbands, I mean, wives for your sons and husbands for your daughters <clears throat> and watch them raise their children. I want you to pray for the blessings, <clears throat> excuse me, for the city that you're in because this season is for me. I mean, I'm, I'm doing this. I'm disciplining you, and I'm going to bring you back home because you are mine, and I love you when this 70-year when this punishment is over. And so that was kind of the heart, and that's what Jeremiah is telling Zedekiah. Now, here's the question. Did Zedekiah listen to Jeremiah? No, he was an idiot, because what was the thing? He wanted to be king. He wanted to be in control. He did not want anyone telling him what to do. And so that's where we have this, is that he rebelled against Nebuchadnezzar. And at first it was small, and then it got, you know, and just think about it, y'all. Babylon, I mean, it was like the most power. it was like the... the the main nation there of all, you know, they basically had taken over the whole Middle East area. They, they were this big, big imperial power, if you will. And so this little 21-year-old with a weakened army in a weakened state, he thinks he's going to go against the most powerful nation in the known world at that time. Do you think it went well for him? It did not. <laughs> and so eventually what, uh, what uh, Nebuchadnezzar does, and that's where we pick up in verse 4, it says, so in the ninth year, okay, so now he's been reigning for nine years. This has been going on. He's been like rebelling against Nebuchadnezzar, thinking he's going to get away with it. And it says, but in the ninth year, Nebuchadnezzar himself, he did not send a general. He did not send somebody else. He himself, the king of Babylon, 
marched against Jerusalem. And here's what I think is so interesting. He brought his whole army. He didn't just bring a few people. He brought the whole army. And basically, it's like Zedekiah, resistance is futile. I am going to win this battle. You are not. And then there's little Zedekiah with his hand on his hip saying, no way, no way. <laughs> and, and, and Nebuchadnezzar, I mean, Zed, uh, King uh, Nebuchadnezzar says, oh yeah, I am going to win this battle. And he does. And he didn't lose a man. What he did was he built siege works around the city and basically said, I'm going to starve you out. I'm going to starve you out. You know, it's like the child that's having the temper tantrum on the ground. And, and you're like, mm, I am the mom. I am the dad. I'm going to win this battle, not you. And that is what happened. They put up these massive siege works, and they, and they stopped the flow of all food coming into the city. And, and, and so they began to starve inside the city. Now, do you think this would have got, and the whole time, Nebuchadnezzar is like, just surrender and your life will be okay. But, but Zedekiah wouldn't. And throughout the book of Jeremiah, what you read is, is that, is that Zedekiah, though, he would still go to Jeremiah and say, well, ha have you got a word from the Lord? Is there something new that the Lord might be saying to us? And, and basically, Jeremiah kept saying the same thing over and over and over again. And this is the verse, and this is a summary verse, but you find this in Jeremiah 21, 8 through 9. And, and Jeremiah says this, I'm going to say it to you one more time. He said, this is what the Lord is saying. See, I'm setting before you the way of life and the way of death. And whoever stays in this city will die by the sword, famine, or plague. But whoever goes out and surrenders to the Babylonians who are besieging you, they will live and they will escape with their lives. He says, I'm giving you a choice. The whole nation, live, choose life or choose death. Surrender to my purposes, to my will, and you will live. But if you don't, it is not going to go well for you. Zedekiah was so mad at Jeremiah. First he imprisoned him, and then he threw him down in a cistern in a, in a well, and, and Jeremiah gives great detail. He says, I, you know, basically I was sinking in the mud there, and yet still the scriptures are like, but he would yell out, hey, hey, you know, you can live, you can live, surrender, surrender, and nobody would listen. Then the scriptures tell us right here, and it says, in verse 6, it says, By the ninth day of the fourth month, the famine in the city had become so severe that there was no food to eat, for the people to eat. And then here, here's what happened in verse 7. It says, Then the city wall was broken through. Once your defenses are down, that was kind of the point of no return. Now the army, the foreign army, was inside the city. And, and what we have here, and this story is repeated throughout uh, 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles, they, they repeat this story three times in the scriptures, is that the walls were broken down, the invading army comes in, it says that they burned the temple, they burned the king's palace, that they basically burned all of the, the major cities, they, they tore down the temple. When we read in Ezra about them coming back and having to rebuild, and Nehemiah rebuilding the city walls, rebuilding the temples, this is because, this is why they had to rebuild it. It would have been in place if, if Zedekiah had not rebelled against Nebuchadnezzar. They cart everything off. They, they get 
Zedekiah. And I just, this is so vivid, so vivid the way the authors describe this. It says that they got him and they, and they basically, they, they poked his eyes out, they blinded him. Uh, but before they did that, they murdered his children before his very eyes. Then they poke his eyeballs out. Then they, they put him in shackles and then they carry him off to Babylon to live as a prisoner in captivity for the rest of his life. And then the scriptures end this, that the authors end the story, and they say, so Judah was taken into captivity. Judah was taken into captivity. Now, what does this story have to do with you, and what does this story have to do with me? I'm going to go back to our original question. What competes for control in your life? What is that one thing that you are like Zedekiah with your hand on your hip going, no way, God, you're not going to touch this area. But I've been hurt so deeply, I can't let it go. I know I have trouble with my anger, but that's just my personality. Or I know I shouldn't be with this person, or I know that I've, that I've compromised here in this area. I know what's on my computer, but, but this is my one little area. And the Lord is saying, you know what? I want to be the king of your life. I want to be in control of it all. Jesus tells his disciples, he's talking about what does it mean to be a disciple of Christ. And he gives almost a very similar dichotomy of choices. And, uh, and we've got it here. It's in Matthew. Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Do y'all hear the echo there? Jeremiah tells Zedekiah and the nation, choose life, choose death. It's really up to you. Jesus said, choose life, choose death. He said, the choice is, it's kind of easy, but here's what you have to do. It's full surrender. It's full surrender. Where we ask Jesus to be the king of our hearts. And we say, I give it all to you. I give it all to you. Now, Monday morning, I think every sermon should always have relevance to what your life looks like on Monday morning. What does this look like for you? Here's what it looks like for my life is to start the day off with your devotional time with the Lord. Maybe you're still in your bed. Maybe you get up and have a devotion, you know, and, and you have like a, you read scripture. But as a part of that, I want to invite you to, to put your hands like this and to pray and to say, Lord, I surrender to you today. I give you full control of every area of my heart and my life. Today, I want to choose you. I want to choose life. And I want to choose to let you be the king of my heart.